invite you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Really two words that I want you to think about this morning in this message. One is the word servant. When you hear the word servant, what comes to your mind? Maybe an apron, maybe somebody that waits on a table, maybe someone that cleans a house, maybe this picture of a servant. There it is. That's our model, Jesus. Philippians 2 says, who did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. So on one side we have servant in this passage. The other side we have king. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word king. Perhaps this crown. You think that is worthy of a king? Or maybe another picture comes to mind when you hear the word king. Maybe it's this guy. I don't know what comes to your mind when you hear the word king. But here's the question of the hour. Which are you? Are you a servant or are you a king? And I recognize that you're going to be like anybody. You're saying, wait a minute, I ain't got a crown. I don't have a realm. And yet the people that Paul was speaking to didn't have crowns either. They just acted like they were kings. Now keep in mind, we're talking about the context of a church in Corinth. Corinth was a wicked city. The gospel had spread there from Jerusalem. But if you look at a map of the time in the first century, Corinth was a long ways from the Holy Land. And it was even a further distance as far as the morality of people. Paul had gone and started the church, been there about 18 months. It's now been about five years. He's not there anymore. He's left an able man behind named Apollos who's been the pastor of the first church at Corinth. And yet Paul is hearing things that he's writing back to address. In fact, if you notice in your Bible, we have 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And you'll find out as you read it, maybe it's because they didn't get it in the first letter. In fact, you'll find out from reading 1st Corinthians that 1st Corinthians wasn't the first letter. Because he refers to another letter that he had sent that we don't have copies of. And so some scholars think there might have been as many as four letters written to this church at Corinth. But let's look first of all at Paul's humble purpose. Humble, a word you wouldn't associate with being a king, would you? It's a word we'd associate with being a servant. Let me just begin by reading the first five verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man regard us in this manner, just to set the context for the passage. Paul's already addressed the fact there's divisions in the church. And one of the, church, one of the things the churches were fighting over was whose preacher they were, they were in favor of, whose side they were on. Was it Paul? Was it Apollos? Was it Peter, in this passage referred to as Cephas, or was it Jesus? Apparently some of them had even heard Jesus preach. And so the church was divided. They said, I'm on his side, I'm on his side. Keep in mind, Jesus didn't come to take sides, he came to take over. So if you're in a church where you're kind of divided over whose side you're on, you better be on Jesus' side, because that's the only one that counts. Paul says, if you're doing the math, if you're taking an inventory, regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, 
It's a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even examine myself. For I'm conscious of nothing against myself, yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts. And then each man's praise will come to him from God. Now, just from the outset, we're going to get to a few more verses, but right there at the outset, some of you may already be thinking, wait a minute, he's talking about preachers here. Let me tell you who this passage applies to today. It applies to people who are called to ministry, preachers or other staff members of churches, people who might teach a Sunday school class, somebody that might be a part of a ministry that is teaching the gospel, or anybody who's ever been to church or might go to church. (laughs) Why? Because Paul's not writing this to preachers. He's writing it to a church. And he starts out by saying, here's how you ought to regard your pastor. And Paul says, here's how I regard myself. First of all, as a servant of Christ. For you Greek scholars in the room, this isn't the normal word that Paul uses for servant or slave. That's the word doulos. This is another word. It, it really is the picture. In fact, the word literally means under oarsman. Under oarsman. It, re- it really meant this. It meant you're the guy at the bottom of the boat with your oar stuck out in the water rowing. You didn't have windows. You couldn't see what everybody else on the ship was seeing. You were at the bottom under oarsman. It was a slave but it was a specific slave that it was under the authority of somebody else, an under oarsman. I guess the worst job on the ship, and yet that's how Paul described himself. If you want to put me in a box, Paul's saying, if you want to regard me in a way, regard me as an under oarsman, the lowest galley slave, under the authority of another. And then the second word he used to describe himself is steward of the mysteries of God. The word steward meant a house distributor. It meant an overseer. In the Greek culture, they would have had huge estates that would be run by slaves. And the the estates were so huge that the owner of the estate didn't want to bother himself with the affairs of day-to-day operation of the estate. And so he would place somebody in charge of the estate that had great authority. With, with little oversight. And so Paul says, regard me as a servant. Also regard me as a steward. A steward takes care of something that's been entrusted to him. And Paul says, I'm a steward of something specific. I'm a steward of the mysteries of God. We've already looked at that word mystery in the passage, but most of you weren't here when we looked at it, so let me just explain what that word means. It doesn't mean like a puzzle that you've got to figure out. It literally means a secret or a mystery that can only be discovered by divine revelation. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, look at me as a servant. I serve God. Look at me as a steward. I've been entrusted with the Word of God. And what I see my role as being is taking to you and unpacking to you the truth, this great wealth that God has put into my care to explain to you the very Word of God. That's what Paul did. Paul saw himself as explaining. His role was to explain God. To people. Let me say something. Now, if you're a preacher here, or you're a young person thinking about ministry, you're thinking about being a pastor someday, that's your calling. That's your calling. Your calling is to take the truth of God and explain it to other people. 
Some have even referred to this particular role as being a table waiter. I mentioned this last week. You know, you're taking the food from the kitchen that the cook has cooked, and you're taking it out to the table. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want the person bringing me my food to mess with it on the way to the table. I don't want them to finish cooking it. Now, I'm okay if it's fajitas or something. It's still kind of sizzling on the way. But I don't want them messing with my food. And so, listen, we don't want preachers messing with the food either. What do we do as preachers? We take the Word of God and bring it to the people. And the thing that concerns me in this day and age is that there's some preachers messing with the Word of God. We're under oarsmen. We're servants. We're stewards. Ministers take Ministers and teachers alike, if you're teaching Sunday school, you're taking divine truth and you're giving it to the household of God. And look how Paul qualifies it. Let me stop right there. There's a ringing that's annoying me. Can you all hear it back there? Can you all hear that? Okay. Maybe that'll help. Um, Nope, it's still there. What do you think? Go ahead, Miss Sound Man, Miss Sound Woman. It's my vo- I can't really do anything about that. I'm sorry. My, my voice is too loud. <laughs> Turn it down a little bit. Is that better? Mike, can you hear that ringing? Gary? Gary can't hear it. Mike can. Help him out. Is it annoying anybody but me? All the staff in the back. Well, y'all don't count. Put your hands down. All right, here's what's required then of the steward. This is what is required of the steward, that he be found trustworthy. The most important task of the minister is that he be found faithful. That he be found faithful to the Word of God. And folks, this takes time. I'm not just talking to preachers here. I'm talking to anybody that would open up the Word of God and teach it to somebody else. It takes time. This is what some ministers are doing in this day to, to kind of short circuit Shortcut the time, you Google it. You know, you can go, like, steal somebody else's sermon off the Internet. That is cheap, and it's cheating. That's not what God gave you. It's what God gave somebody else. So I'm okay with you doing research. Just be careful that your research isn't thievery. (laughs) Go to the Internet and research what the passage may say. But, folks, when you're bringing it to people, give them the pure, unadulterated Word of God. And you're saying, well, wait a minute, that's the responsibility of the preacher. It's also the responsibility of you. Don't sit under preaching that isn't faithful to the Word of God. Paul says, I'm a servant. I'm an under oarsman. But I've called to be this steward that is faithful, that is found trustworthy. The reason we have malnourished Christians and church members is because you're not getting what Paul called the whole counsel of God. There's, there's two problems as preachers, and I have this problem. Okay? I, have to, I have to battle this. One is you can ignore certain passages. So one problem is you don't preach the whole counsel of God because you get to a difficult passage and you say, we're going to skip this and go on to something that's a little more favorite. The problem is if the preacher only preaches what his favorite topics are, you're only going to hear four or five things, and you're never going to hear the whole counsel of God. Or the preacher, so one is you just ignore passages. Number two is you twist Scripture to fit your topic. I heard somebody tell me that a student came to them and, and was saying, you know, I've, I've got to speak this week in church, and I already know what I want to say. Will you help me find some verses to back it up? If you ever approach teaching from that standpoint where you're kind of thumbing through Scripture, so I know somewhere it says something about God helps those that helps themselves. Where is that? 
Well, it's not in the Scripture. So be careful that you don't take your opinion and try to make Scripture fit it. No, we need to adjust our opinion to fit Scripture. So Paul says, regard me that way. And then Paul says, you know what, it's really a small thing for me to be examined by you. In fact, he said, I don't examine myself. What's Paul saying? Paul's saying the word examine literally means to give final verdict. Paul's saying, listen, you can't give the final verdict on me. I can't even give the final verdict on myself. Who's going to give the final verdict? God is. And here's the good news about God giving the final verdict. God sees past what everybody sees. God sees your heart, and God sees the motives of your heart. Here's the good news about God. God's going to reward people that you've never heard of because they were faithful. There's other people that you've heard of that weren't faithful. And the greatest reward that you'll hear ever as a minister or as a child of God that's ever shared the good news with anybody is this from your Lord. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Greatest reward that you'll ever hear. Stewards are to be found faithful. And Paul says he's going to bring it to light. Those things that are hidden in darkness. And when you first hear that word, you think about things hidden in darkness. He's not just talking about sin here. He's talking about the things that are unseen. It could be good things that right now are obscured. But the light of Christ is going to shine on it. Last week we looked at chapter 3. We talked about the fact that whether you're building with gold, silver, precious stones or wood, hay or stubble, one day it's going to be tested. And it's going to be revealed the quality of each person's work. Let's look at the assessment then of themselves. That's what Paul said in the first five verses. Paul said, here's how I want you to look at me. But then Paul takes an assessment of them, and they had an exaggerated opinion of themselves. They were very proud of human wisdom. They were even very proud of human leaders. Look what Paul says in verses 6 through 9. He said, now, these things, brethren, I have figuratively applied to myself and Apollos for your sake, so that in us you may learn not to exceed what is written, so that no one of you will become arrogant in behalf of one against the other. For who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? You're already filled. You have become rich. You have become kings without us. And indeed, I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all, as men condemned to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Paul addresses head on their own opinion of themselves. One of the favorite things in Corinth for people to do was just gather new philosophies and learn new things. They just loved human wisdom. And apparently that had infiltrated the church. Keep in mind, new church, been in there about five years. Some of the people now that are a part of the church were probably brand new believers, hadn't been there long. You know, they were in the new members class. And they're taking all that they had ever known, what they had grown up with, and that was human wisdom and elevating, putting on pedestals, human leaders. What do they do? They, they build statues for them, put them up on pedestals and almost worship them. And Paul's addressing that. And Paul says, I'm figuratively applying me and Apollos for your sake. I'm using us as an example for you that you shouldn't exceed what is written. Don't think more highly of yourself. Don't even think more highly of your leaders than you ought to think. Now, 
before we go too much further, let me just, let me share a couple of verses where Paul does write and talk about preachers. One of them is in First Thessalonians chapter five, verses twelve through thirteen. First Thessalonians, he says, "But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you, and have charge over you in the Lord, and give you instruction." And that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Live in peace with one another. And then as Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, he says, The elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. So I don't want you to leave here and think, Well, the preacher said that you know we're supposed to treat our preacher like he's at the bottom of a boat, can't even see out. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. Your preacher is worthy of honor. But only as he humbly serves God. Your teacher is worthy of honor, but only as they bring to the table a stewardship of the Word of God. And so Paul says, listen, there's no reason for you to be puffed up. No reason for you to be arrogant. This word literally just is this sense of blowing something up. Just picture a balloon blowing so it's almost a pop. That's kind of the attitude these people had. They just chest poked out, head held high, just arrogant. Their attitude was everything's about me i'm in it for me and what has happened with that is if you go to a church where everybody's only interested in themselves what's going to happen in that church church is going to be divided everybody just wants themselves to be comfortable the church will be divided that's why you fight over things in church like whether you like this style of music or that style of music or this color carpet or this type of seat or this place in the church you know everybody can't sit on the back row that's supposed to be a joke. All right? But that's what causes divisions in the church when it's all about me. In fact, he said, you're, you're doing this to the point where you're putting one against another. And what they were doing is they were lifting up leaders and saying, well, that's the preacher I was saved under. That's the preacher that had the biggest impact in my life. And in this case, the first preacher they ever knew was Paul. Well, when Paul left after 18 months, they brought in a guy that uh, scholars tell us was an excellent eloquent communicator his name was apollos and so some people said no wait a minute my guy is apollos and i've seen that happen in church today not not with the names paul and apollos you got to insert different names but it's either that you can't forget the guy that used to be there it's all you hear about is the guy that used to be there or the new guy comes and all you do is talk bad about the guy that used to be there i've had people in church say, i never knew they felt that way about the last pastor till he left well it shouldn't be that way where you're playing one against another and putting any of them up on pedestals to the point that you're worshiping them instead of the God that they proclaimed and preached about. And then I love the questions. He really asked them three questions. Who regards you as superior? The, the title of the message. Who left you in charge? Who is it that has regarded you? Who put you on the pedestal is what he's saying to the church in Corinth. Who, who made you superior? The word means really to separate from another. It means they, they put you heads and shoulders above anybody else. Who is that? Well, the answer was they'd done it to themselves. Second question he asked him is, what do you have that you didn't receive? The fact that you're a child of God, the fact that you are blessed to have clothes to wear, you have food to eat, the fact that you're blessed to be a part of this church, any of those blessings, you've received all of them. They're not from yourself. But the third question that he asked him is then, because you have received it, why are you boasting? Why are you vaunting yourself? Listen, there is nothing more destructive than pride. 
And Paul is saying, listen, you need, to, you need a reality check because you have an exaggerated assessment of yourself. Anything you have that came from God is by grace. If you worked for it, then you can take credit for it. But folks, the fact that you've been blessed beyond measure, and more than that, the fact of your salvation is a gift of God. That Paul writes in another passage, it, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. So folks, listen, men and women, we don't have any reason to come to church and point the finger at ourselves. We come humbly before God, who has done radical things in our life. In fact, he says, your attitude is this, that you're already filled. The word means satisfied. It's, you've already pushed away from the table. You're full. You've been crammed. You've been filled up. Now, it, this is sarcastic on Paul's part. We get to verse 8. He kind of turns to sarcasm. You're already filled. You've already become rich. It is a scary thing when you approach God as if you don't need Him. Did you hear me? It's a scary thing, and I see it all over the church in America. If you ever get the opportunity to go outside our country to other places where the gospel is being proclaimed, it is amazing in most of those places to see how desperate people are for God. Because in America, we kind of have the attitude, I'm already filled. I, I don't need anything. I got it. I'm okay. And Paul says that to the Corinthian believers. You've already become filled. You're already rich. You've already become kings without us. We haven't been part of it. In fact, Paul kind of sarcastically said, I wish you heart king so that we could reign with you. But the picture Paul gives is this. Listen, God has exhibited us apostles last of all. We've become a spectacle. The word spectacle is where they got the word theater. It's literally we're on display at the theater, and the arena where we're on display is the cosmos. For all the men and angels to look at us and see that we are last of all. Paul says you've got this inflated opinion of yourself. But you ought to look at us. We're the ones who brought you the gospel. And folks, we brought it to you as the least and the lowest. Last part then, the stark contrast. I, I just want to close by showing you some words that Paul uses to describe the apostles and to describe the church in Corinth and to see how incredibly different his estimation of them were. Let me read verses 10 through 14. He says, we are fools for Christ's sakes, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, yet we are without honor. To this present hour, we, both, we are both hungry and thirsty and are poorly clothed and are roughly treated and are homeless. And we toil, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we try to conciliate. We have become as the scum of the world, the dregs of all things, even until now. Now, I don't write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Just real quickly, let me share some of these words. He says, we're fools. The Greek word is the word moron. Literally, we're treated like blockheads, like we're stupid. You view yourselves as prudent, thoughtful, and discreet. Corinthians loved human wisdom. In fact, most of the people in the Greek culture viewed preachers as babblers. Don't anybody say amen to that. But that's kind of, kind of how they viewed preachers. We're weak. Literally, we are without strength. You're strong. You're forcible. We're without honor. You're distinguished. 
And then he said, here's the truth. We're hungry. The apostles are hungry. They're famished. They're craving. We're thirsty. We're poorly clothed. We're roughly treated. The word there means to rap with a fist. Paul, you can read about it later. Paul was beaten on numerous occasions, left for dead on one. And he's writing to a group of people who kind of feel like we have arrived and we don't need God. And Paul's writing often from a prison cell where he'd just been beaten for the last time. Paul says we're homeless. The word really means to be non-stationary. It just means we're constantly wandering. Homeless. We toil. We work with our own hands. That was viewed by the Greek culture as the worst possible thing. That you would involve yourself in work that required you to sweat and to be involved with your own hands. It's beneath their dignity. When we are reviled, look how the apostles, when we are reviled, literally when we suffer reproach, we bless, we speak well of. We don't revile back, we bless them. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, literally when we are brought into ill repute, we try to conciliate. We try to make it right. We're called the scum and the dregs. These two words are interesting. It, literally, it means that once something has been scraped off to clean it, what's left over is the scum. It's the dregs. It's, it's what's left over. It's no use for it but to be thrown out. Paul said that's how we're treated, as scum and dregs. But then we go into verse 14, and it's interesting. He says, I don't say this to shame you. Now, I, got, I just got to tell you, if I'm a Corinthian believer and I get this letter, my, I mean, my head's going to be down, right? You're like, man, I'm ashamed. Listen, they had every right to be ashamed. But Paul said, that's not the end result. I don't just want you walking around saying, woe is me. Paul beat us up in this letter. In fact, says, no. Paul says, no, I don't, I don't write this to shame you. I've written it to admonish you. That word means to put in mind. It means to caution. It literally means to reprove gently. Paul says, rather than you just walking around saying, woe is me, I feel bad. Paul says, no, I'm just trying to wake you up to recognize the direction that you're heading. You're becoming like your culture. Be careful. In fact, he says, I, I don't say this to shame you, but I admonish you as what? As beloved children. I hope that after 14 verses, really 13 and a half verses, <laughs> where basically Paul has just been very direct and right in their face, and they should feel pretty low. They are at least encouraged by the fact he calls them beloved children. It's the word agape, love without condition, children. And that's the way Paul viewed them. And so, well, great. How do I apply that to my life? More than that just being a history lesson from the first century, how do we apply that to our life? Well, I kind of unpack some of that at the beginning. Just kind of bring it to a close. Listen. If you're called in ministry to either teach as, as a vocation, to preach, or to ever just open the Bible to explain what it means, make sure that you're faithful in doing that. Make sure that you as a believer are in a church where that happens, that you're part of not just a church service, but regular Bible study where you're hearing the truth of the Word of God. And be accountable so that somebody like Paul could say to you, you know what, you're kind of acting like you don't need God here. 
Do you have those kind of people in your life that, that have that kind of freedom to walk around in your life and say, you know what, you were kind of doing good for a while, but you've kind of slipped. We need people like that that can come into our lives and do that. Allow the Word of God to be that kind of mirror that you look into and it judges the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this, for this Word. It's a hard Word to hear. It's a hard Word to receive. And I'm sure it was for the first century church in Corinth. And yet, God, it's encouraging because Paul still viewed these believers as believers, as beloved, as children. God, I pray for preachers in our midst and teachers in our midst. Pray for myself that we would be faithful servants and stewards of the Word of God. And God, I pray for church members and folks who one day will be members of churches. That God, you would lead us to places that honor the Word of God. And we would allow that Word to impact our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name.